You know, I think it's part of our human nature that we like to, to test things. Children like to test the thickness of the ice by throwing boulders, and adults like to test drive cars before we buy one. In our passage today, John instructs us that, there, that there's a, a testing that's to be a part of our daily lives. See, there's a lots of messages that are bombarding us every day. Some are true and some are false. Some are from God and some are not. Can you tell the difference? Our text this morning is 1 John, and verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into this world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We want to know God. If you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your word, that we have true truth before us to, to anchor our lives to, to attach our hopes to. Um, and yet this world is full of, of all kinds of contrary messages, messages which deny you, um, which, which are meant to turn people from faith in you. Uh, and this is a battle that we are a part of. Help us as your children, as your people, to know how to test the spirits uh, and how to walk in ways that honor you so that we may be salt and light into this world, that we may live for your glory and people may come to praise you through us, we pray. Amen. Well, earlier, Hannah Faye read that amazing account of when Jesus stood accused before Pontius Pilate. Imagine, imagine being there. Pilate asked Jesus if he was, in fact, uh, the king of the Jews. And Jesus said that, that he was born to be a king, but, but his kingdom was not of this world. It was from heaven. And, and Jesus' last words to Pilate were, I came into this world to bear witness to the truth. And you remember Pilate's reply. He said, what is truth? Now, Pilate wasn't interested in knowing what truth really is. He is dismissing Jesus for, you know, who needs truth when you have power? And sadly for Pilate, ponder this. There Jesus was, truth with a capital T, standing right in front of him, but Pilate could not discern truth from a lie. You know, the world that we live in today is just as troubling with regards to truth Consider just one of the big virtues that are in our society today, the so-called 
virtue of this pursuit of living true to oneself. Now, I'm fine with living true to oneself so long as what a person means by that is they want to live how God has uniquely made them and, and live for him in his glory. But that's not how most use the phrase to be true to oneself. For most to live true to oneself is to issue oneself a license to live however they feel so long as it's true to me. And sadly, living true to oneself just does not turn out well. Living true to oneself results in narcissistic self-indulgence, which is everywhere in our society today, right? So we live in a society where truth is subjective. That is, uh, you know, I just want to be what I want to be. Or truth is perceived as being just unknowable. So I can never know true truth. Or truth is just irrelevant because I just want to do what I feel like doing. Now remember why John wrote this letter to those churches in ancient Asia Minor. There were outsiders who John calls false prophets who were telling the church members that, that they actually knew secret truth, that they offered this right view of the world and how best to live one's life in it. And no doubt these outsiders, they were clever, they were winsome. They were persuasive. And so John was worried that some in these churches could be led astray. And when you think about his entire letter, as we've been going through it, this entire letter is, is about knowing the truth and living in the light of this truth. You see, the words true or truth, they appear 15 times in this short letter. And the word know appears 30 times. And remember just from last week's passage where John stated that we are of the truth. At the end of the day, at the end of your life, all that really matters is if you are of the truth or not. There is a truth with, e with eternal consequences that you must stake your life upon. And so if you have not yet embraced this truth concerning Jesus Christ, uh, concerning him living and dying and rising so that you may experience salvation and eternal life in him, then I implore you to seek this truth right now so that Christ may set you free. Now, for most of us, we have been set free in Christ, yet we find ourselves in similar circumstances as those Christians so long ago. There are many voices competing for our hearts and minds, You've experienced this, right? And so John warns us in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. And then he instructs us in what we are to do. He says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So it's no surprise this sermon is titled Testing the Spirit. And we're going to investigate this. And as we do, we're going to divide our time under three sections. First, we will look at the trouble, then the tests, and then the triumph. <clears throat> the trouble that John is addressing here is that we human beings are prone to, to, just, to listen to just about any spirit other than the spirit of God. So in verse 1, he says we need to test the spirits to see if they're from God because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. Now, now when we think of false prophets, um, don't have this picture in your mind 
of some guy wearing an off-white tunic, uh, carrying clay tablets under his arms. False prophets here should simply be seen as any person who's speaking um, with some sort of authority. It could be a friend. It could be some blogger with a cult following. And this person is giving what they believe to be important truth, like the big picture truth about life, uh, what life's meaning is all about, and uh, how one is supposed to live a life of meaning, and, and what is true about this universe. In the ancient Greco-Roman world in which John lived, there were, there were men who traveled around as teachers, and they would come into different cities and villages, and they would get on a soapbox, and they would teach, and they hoped that people would listen to them and buy into what they were saying and, and support them and perhaps even become followers or disciples. Now, today's prophets don't really need to travel to do that. We have television and, of course, now the Internet. There's a lot of prophets on the Internet, social influencers, we call them. And so we can come under the influence of so-called TV and, and web evangelists like Joel Olstein or Creflo Dollar or others on TV, they do a lot of evangelizing as well. People like Sean Hannity and Bill Maher and Stephen Colbert and Dr. Phil and uh, Oprah Winfrey. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I like Oprah Winfrey. We must not think like some Christians that only Christians can reflect God's image. But at the end of the day, the worldview and approach to life that Oprah's and others promote it just does not line up with the message of Christ. I'm not saying there isn't anything that she talks about that we can't receive, but I'm just saying the overall message that she has presented over the years sounds more like the teaching of these Gnostics here that John was dealing with, not really the message of Christianity. And see, the problem of false prophets isn't that they're mean or cruel or obviously telling lies. Rather, they're usually charismatic, and what they speak and say kind of seems to sound good. It makes sense. And some will then say, they'll say nice things about Jesus, but ultimately, their message is false. And so many of the prophets in our culture today will say, like, God is whoever he or she or it is. Um, and the overall thrust to meaning in life is just to, to unlock the good person within you, uh, just try to leave the world a little bit better place than how you found it. And so you certainly don't need a savior from heaven. And this sounds really, really appealing to us today. And it's why we need to test the spirits. And that's what John is addressing here. The reason why he's telling his readers not to believe every spirit is because the trouble is we tend to believe every spirit. We human beings aren't all that discerning, are we? We human beings are slow to, to see the truth, and we're quick to embrace just about anything else. That's the trouble, which leads into the second point, the test. And so the question before us this morning is an important one. How do we know that the fundamental message of what life is about and, and the daily supporting messages that, that we choose to receive, how do we know whether we're receiving truth or error? And John shows us really two simple, important tests. Let's call them the incarnation test and the participation test. John teaches us the incarnation test in verses 2 and 3. John says that there's an objective truth that must be 
at the very core of one's worldview. What is that? Well, we read, we read this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John is saying, if you picked up on this, right, that every truth claim either flows from the spirit of God or the spirit of Antichrist. Now, remember the word anti means against and Christ means, well, Christ. So um, it refers to all beings, uh, messages that are against Christ. You are either for Christ or you are against Christ. And so the incarnation test is this. Does the person, does the message have at its core the confession of this incarnation? That, that God has come down in, in human flesh. That in love for sinful man, God, God, God came to earth and became a man. That Jesus is the Christ who walked in sinless perfection upon this earth. And the purpose of his life wasn't just to show us a better way to live, as if the sin problem we share is fixable by us, but rather he came to go to the cross that we may be redeemed and forgiven and reconciled back to God. And so John is saying that the test is as simple as this. It's as simple as asking this question. Is the spirit behind what you're being told one that confesses the incarnation or not? I mean, ponder this. Remember the context of John's letter. In Greco-Roman philosophy, it taught that this physical realm that God made and which we inhabit, that, that it's really corrupt and evil, and, and therefore it's irrelevant what you do in your body. Only the spiritual realm is good. And therefore, check this out. God would never, ever come in the flesh. Understand this. To the Greco-Roman mind in which John was writing, that thought was repulsive. And so check this out. Consider this, though. The very thing that repulses most of the world is actually the core truth that must be believed. Today, social influencers and TV prophets will say that Jesus was a nice man with good teachings, but he isn't God. And you certainly don't have a sin problem, at least not one that you can't fix yourself. And so whatever truth claims you entertain, you must ask the question, does the person or this message wishing to persuade me have Christ coming in the flesh as the central truth that they delight in or not? Now, let's be clear on this one other thing, though. John is not addressing which butcher you should go buy your meat from. He's addressing which big-picture worldview do you embrace, along with the moral and ethical beliefs that align under them. See, if these teachers were offering exercise plans or selling pillows, <laughs> you know, their backstory wouldn't be all that important, would it? And so too today, you know, you aren't to ask the highway patrolman who pulls you over for speeding if he believes that Jesus came in the flesh. <laughs> and if he says yes, you're not to say, well, my pastor says I can rip up this ticket. 
No, John is addressing worldview and ethical views, which help in scenarios like this. Say you confide with a friend that your marriage is in, is in a tough spot. There, there isn't any abuse, but you just don't love your husband like you used to. And your friend tells you, well, of course, God just wants you to be happy. And so she suggests you file for divorce. John is saying that you can know that this is not the spirit of truth, but a spirit of error, because we know that God, who sent his son into the world to redeem and reconcile us back to himself, calls us to do the same thing in our relationships. And so when the world we live in says, live for your own happiness, you can open up the word of the spirit of truth, which is the Bible, which is what John is getting at in this text. And you can hear Jesus says, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if the world says, <coughs> excuse me, and if the world we live in says, have sex outside of marriage, you can be sure that it's not from God. Because the word of the spirit of truth says to flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because you've been bought at a price, and now your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So the first test is the incarnational test. Is the cross of Christ and the words of Christ in Scripture at its center or not? <clears throat> the second test is the participation test. And this test has us observing just who is gathering around the message or the messenger. John is promoting the age-old saying, you can tell a person by the company he keeps. We see this in our elected officials. In Congress, people gather around AOC or Ted Cruz or someone else. John separates, listen, he separates all of humanity into two groups, those who are from the world and those who are from God. And one group listens to God, and another group listens to the world. One listens to the spirit of truth, the other listens to the spirit of error. We see this in verses 5 and 6. See if you can pick this up as I reread it. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The point is, John is saying that you can discern where the spirit of truth is active by whether God's children are huddled around it or not. It makes sense, right? It's as simple as observing who is listening, who is receiving this message. That's how you know if the message is from God or not. Observe who is gathering around the message. Are the people of God embracing it? Well, then in all likelihood, the message aligns with the word of God. If not, then as alluring and as affirming as the message may sound, if it's not the people of God who gather around it, then we can be sure the message isn't of God, and therefore we are to reject it. John is telling this community of true believers um, that, that 
it, that this community of the church is the place in which the veracity of the words of the spirits are to be tested. You know, this is one of the reasons why I'm so thankful we have grace groups here at Grace Church, discipleship groups, men and women meeting in small groups each week for multiple years to come, sharing life together. See, it's in these discipleship groups that men and women share in the challenges of life. We help each other to discern what? To discern the truth and to stick to godly paths. And then we hold each other accountable. And so as this takes place, it is a beautiful sight to behold, right? See, it's in the body of Christ that we live out John's participation test. It's as we gather together that Jesus' words come true. Remember when he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Christian, you have heard the good shepherd's voice. You have been gathered in as his flock. So to test the spirits, you must ask, is the message readily embraced by the world or by the flock? who follows Christ. Those are the two tests that John gives us, the incarnation test and the participation test. And so let me ask you, are these tests part of your life? Do you acknowledge how important it is to test the spirit? And do you monitor what you receive according to the incarnation test and the participation test? All right, so we looked at the trouble and the tests. Now for the triumph. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, maybe it's yours as well, is when Elisha and his servant are out in the wilderness and they're surrounded by a huge, enormous Syrian army. Uh, all of these horses and chariots. And the servant panics big time. Who can blame him, right? But then Elisha says these famous words, don't be afraid, there are more with us than with them. And the servant scratches his head. He doesn't see anything. All he sees is the enemy. And then Elisha prays that God would open up the man's eyes so that he would see this true spiritual reality, this battle, invisible battle in the spiritual realms. And, and, and God does so, and he opens the servant's eyes to this invisible reality. And now he sees this mountain is full of God's horses and chariots arrayed for battle. In the physical realm, they are outnumbered. But in the spiritual realm, God is greater than what is in the world. You know, as we live the Christian life, as we've been studying 1 John uh, and applying these truths to our lives, it, the Christian life can at times just feel overwhelming, can it not? There is this spiritual battle in the heavenly realms, and and we're caught up in the midst of it. And sometimes we, we panic and are afraid. We, we cannot see it, though. But the spirit of truth is battling with the spirit of this world. And we can feel caught in the middle, right? And the reality is, even the most mature Christian can feel worn out and weary and powerless from the battle. Now, John knows this about us, and so he wrote those amazing words in verse 4. 
please, let, let's focus on them now. Here's what he says. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That one short sentence changes everything for us. Let me make quick, three quick points. First is this. John reminds us of our status. He writes, little children, you are from God. Christian, you are a child, and God is your father. You are not from this world. I know you were born into this world, but you have a new birth, which means you are now from God. This speaks of you being a new creation in Christ, right? But it also, listen, it has missional implications. You are from God, and God has you and me in this world for a purpose. We aren't to hide out in our holy huddles waiting for Christ to return. We are to be like a city on the hill, lights up high for all the world to see. And we are to live counterculturally, but with great love for the people around us who don't yet know Christ. We are from God. And we live in this world on mission. We get to live in the light. My friends, this should and this must implant us with hope. Second, John says, we have overcome them. Who is the them? Well, the them are the spirits that don't confess that Jesus is from God. The them is the spirits of the Antichrist. And once again, anti means against. There is a spirit in this world that is against Christ. Now, what John is saying, though, is this. If you are a Christian, listen, if you're a Christian, then the days of you rolling over under the message of the Antichrist, those days are gone for you. John wants you to know, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. The powerful forces of this world which seek to keep people in darkness, you have overcome. The forces of evil which seek to blind people to their sin and blind people to their need for a savior, you have overcome them. You know you're a sinner who needs a savior. You have seen the light, the light, and you walk in its radiance. And so this should and this must implant us with confidence. Now, before we, or you, we stand in front of some mirror, all proud, thinking, boy, I sure am good. Look at how I've overcome all of this evil. Before we start taking credit for the victory, we need to see a third thing. And that is this, God is the one who is doing the triumphing on your behalf. John says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John is telling us that, that God has triumphed on our behalf over our enemy. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The he who is greater is God himself. And my friends, this, John, is, John is just proclaiming the message of the gospel that we hear elsewhere in Scripture. Christ in you, 
Paul calls it the hope of glory. Listen, the very same God who battled the forces of evil for Elisha's sake dwells in you. Amazing, right? Which means we probably don't have a resource problem, do we? <laughs> Perhaps you have a belief problem or a trust problem. Or as John has been saying, an abiding problem. When we abide in God and God in us, look out. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead works in us and through us to accomplish God's purposes. So listen, the message of Christianity isn't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Jesus never says, dig deep within for that hidden power. You just got to unleash it. No. The beauty of the gospel is that God in mercy and grace dwells in his people by the Holy Spirit. This is God's work in us. And it only comes after we confess our great need of it. You know, and part of the Holy Spirit's work during this age is to empower us to test the spirits. And then do what? Respond. Listen, respond in powerful obedience. Grace Church, oh, that we would walk in powerful obedience. Please understand, this should and must implant in us humility, but also cause us to rejoice. God just doesn't forgive us and let us alone to battle the evil forces of this world. No, he takes up residence in us. And this is a gracious work of your heavenly father on your behalf. He does this because he loves you. And so, if living for Christ in a world that is oh so anti-Christ, if this is exhausting for you, if this call upon you to test the spirits is weighing you down, then meditate upon the triumph of God on your behalf that says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Might be a good verse to memorize this week, right? Adriana, I need to put that on our list. And what comforting words to lead us to the Lord's table. May we, as we come before this table, may we be reminded that we belong to Christ's flock. The Spirit has opened up our eyes and ears, and we now hear our, our, our good shepherd's voice. We hear him, and we delight in him, and we follow him. God has opened our eyes to the spiritual realm. We have seen his glory. And yes, we have seen our transgressions against him and his throne. But even more so, we have seen that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh for us. And as we feed on Christ, let us let us com commit to being people who test the spirits. And may we know that Christ has won the victory. May we delight that the good shepherd has laid down his life for us. And may we continue to hear his voice and follow him.
Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, once again, your words just seem too good to be true. And yet, because of the spirit of truth in us, we know they are true. More than that, we, we, we delight in these truths. Our, our lives have become rejoicing lives of, of powerful obedience. Help to work in us, this little church on the east end of Long Island, help to work in us this truth, this goodness, this hope of glory that's in us, this victory that we're a part of. Help us to test well the spirits and help us also to love well those in our midst who don't know Christ and help us to live on mission for you, Jesus, we pray. Amen.